Hello and welcome to the Startups Roundtable. I'd like to start with an acknowledgement of country. We acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land on which we meet. Here in Sydney, it's the Gadigal people. We pay respect to Elders past, present and emerging and extend our respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people listening today. On this podcast, I have the pleasure of speaking with Christina Bunar, who is one of the co-founders at Lissel. Along with the other co-founders, Alexandru, Maria and Radu, Christina is delivering on a new model of audio consumption, where every day Lissel has voice actors convert selected current and topical articles from print to audio to be consumed through their app. In essence, it is a fresh listening experience that offers great variety. Hi, Tony Hackett is my name, and I'm your host on the Startups Roundtable podcast, where I invite guests to share their startup experiences to get an inside view on a startup's path that invariably has many twists and turns in the road. We look for the lessons worth repeating and the bumps we should avoid. In this conversation, Christina shares the story behind this innovative company and also provides insights into the customer influence on their product strategy. And I started by asking Christina to share a little about herself and the background to Lissel. My name is Christina. Thank you for having me. I'm one of the co-founders of Lissel. Uh, Lissel is an app that allows you to listen to interesting content from the internet in audio. There's four of us, actually. Uh, my co-founders, Maria, Alex, and Radu. Uh, we're recent graduates. We're, we all come from Romania uh, originally, but then we moved to London for university. We went through King's College London and uh, University College London, where we all studied computer science. And we became really good friends during second year. Uh, we decided to start a startup. I mean, the story is obviously, uh, it's a lot longer and there's a lot of tries and trials and error behind Lisol. But during March of last year, I think we had our sort of anniversary a couple of, uh, a couple of weeks ago. We decided to apply to a startup accelerator with, uh, this idea with Lisol. And, uh, fortunately, somehow they decided to accept us. We flew to San Francisco. We, we did the interview. We got into Y Combinator and everything since, uh, I mean, has been a lot of work, a lot of things that we've learned and hopefully a product that can appeal to a lot of people. Fantastic. When you started, uh, you would have had an idea of who you thought your ideal subscriber was or your listener was. What was that like then and how has that changed over, say, the last 6, 12 months? Yeah, we did have some someone in mind because basically we were building something that was trying to solve one of our issues. Uh, one of my co-founders, Radu, he was using uh, text-to-speech software to sort of translate written articles uh, from text-to-speech, for instance, Pocket. It's just the artificial voice wasn't good enough to actually get engaged and enjoy the content that was read out to you. So that was the main issue that we were trying to solve. And we've realized that because we were sharing a lot of links, links between the four of us. I, I was reading a lot uh, during my commutes. Uh, so going to university, coming back from university, I had sort of like a 40 minute bus ride. And that was the main sort of time slot when I was consuming content. Uh, so yes, the first thing we had in mind was people who were commuting a lot, who didn't have uh, enough time to enjoy the content they were saving for later, and who just genuinely just never got around to reading whatever they were saving. 
Yeah, you've uh, you've actually uh, spoken to a few points that speak directly to me. And I'm a, a huge consumer of audio. And I, I found that uh, when I was getting books to listen to, I'd be maybe going on my walk and I'd start to drift. So then I started to turn the speed up and then it stayed, kept me more engaged. And then it allowed me to stay in with more content and the wide range of content that's available. It's a tool that I use a lot as well. I use speech to text and even to the point where uh, with this podcast, I've actually started using speech to text to edit the audio. So instead of going through the repetitive select and then to find the button or to get the multi-button mouse to click uh, delete or split or mute, I now have the uh, commands in, in the nuance dragon. And so I select it and I just go cut, mute. And yeah, so it's just such a, an amazing tool. The idea of providing the content and looking for the wide range of content, uh, that's, that must be a, a real challenge for you. It's not necessarily where to go to, but where not to. How do you bring the focus down? So how do you stay on a track? Yeah. Uh, so one of the very defining characteristics of Lizzle is the fact that we're trying to sort of bridge a gap, be- create a bridge between the gap of like podcasts and written content. Because I feel like as much as I love podcasts and I have specific people that I constantly listen to, sometimes discovering new podcasts can be a challenge. And sometimes the chit chat, the small talk in a podcast can sort of drag on and you're not necessarily getting a very focused sort of condensed uh, amount of knowledge that you want to consume, that you want to to, to digest. Uh, so that was one of the things, like most articles that we, we've sort of uh, curated, especially in the very beginning, were uh, opinion type articles, analysis, stuff that if you read, read the title, you won't immediately know like, yeah, this is going to be about this. I already know what I'm about to read. It's stuff that tries to make you smarter while still being informed. Like for instance, you're most likely never going to find anything along the lines. Uh, this accident just happened on Highway 101 between Mountain View and San Francisco because uh, we, we don't feel like it brings any value to you as a user. That's fantastic. I feel a lot of pressure to actually title our <laughs> conversation today now. So I'll have to think about that. I might have to come back to you and see if I've got it close to right or not. Uh, it, it must be an interesting pressure then. Uh, yeah, I guess pressure as to how you start to think about or how you already think about your R&D and your product development strategy. So how do you come together as a team? There's four of you. And, and to make those sort of decisions. Yeah. Uh, I think one of the most valuable things we've learned uh, going through Y Combinator was listening to your users, talking to your users, understanding your users. And it's actually like we just had a call a, a few minutes ago uh, talking about this exact thing because once in a while, every month or so, we we send an email, we message our users and say, you know what, let's have a chat. Let's see what you like about Lisel, what you don't like anymore, how your habits have changed, how your habits have maybe stayed the same. And that's been something we've been using. There's sort of like a guideline that YC offers where you you take the feedback from the users and you split it uh, into three sort of categories, uh, depending on how easy it is to, to implement it and how much value it's going to bring to the users. And we have like low, medium, high. And we usually, like we 
we, we lived together in Mountain View. There was all four of us lived in the same house. So we would always talk, obviously, about the product. But there was a specific time we would sit and we would sit down. We would have like a whiteboard table and we would write down everything that we've heard from the users, everything that we had in mind as well from sort of iterating through the product. And we would lay down what the users have said, how easy it is to actually implement it from a technical standpoint, and then how much value it would bring to the user. If it was easy to implement and it would bring a lot of value, that's what we would do first. Could you talk about that a little bit more about how you functioned as a team and especially, could you give, say, a glimpse into a traditional week three months ago and how, how you would structure your week as a team and then how you're performing that now, given that the world is remote? But I don't know, maybe the other founders are in the same town, but you're still not seeing each other face to face. Could you just take me through the structure? Yeah, sure. So let's say three months ago, I, uh, as we were all in the same house, uh, Usually we, our week sort of started on Sundays because that's when we would do our uh, get together and we would discuss all of everything I've, I've just mentioned. And again, everyone would say, I want to work on this this week. I think this would bring a lot of value to, to what we're doing. Let's set some goals. But it was always like, I, I, I think I've always said this and I strongly believe in the fact that you like, I know in the beginning we were rushing through everything because we wanted to grow as quickly as possible. And we would say, okay, we want 3000 users this week. But in reality, it's not setting a number, but rather setting the activities, the the actual actions that you would do to get to a number like that. So that's what we're doing. Like everyone has their own individual roles. Uh, the guys, Radva and Alex, um, they work on the technical side, so they're building the app. They are taking into consideration the user feedback. Maria and I were, are working on the other side where it comes to content, to users, talking to the users, understanding them, uh, talking to the narrators, the content creators, and so on. Uh, so we would set that, and then basically we would, I, I'm being just honest about this, I know it's not... Uh, the glamorous or fancy sort of life a lot of people imagine in Silicon Valley, but we would just wake up and work from like 8 a.m. until 9 p.m. or so. That would basically that would basically be everything we would do. Uh, we would meet up with advisors and uh, people from Y Combinator, partners, and so on uh, every once in a while. I'd say at least once per week. So that was something that would always give us a push. It would give us some a boost of motivation. Uh, then we would just come back home and start working again. Whenever something doesn't work, we just stop and like discuss it as a team and get back to work. And yeah, that was that was basically it. But now, yeah, like my three co-founders, they're in the same uh, city right now. They're all in Bucharest. Uh, I live like three hours away from from Bucharest, and I've been in self isolation since since we've got home. So I haven't been able to to sort of uh, be in the same place with them. But it's, I, I think there's so much like advancement right now and it's so easy because we we talk all the time. Like even if there's like one idea in my head that I have, what, what if we put this in the app? I just message them and they're like, yeah, on it. Or like, yeah, let's talk about it. And we just call each other whenever something uh, is on our mind. Uh, that's a great answer. And what, what you, you're describing also is something that can only be if you all believe it's not like you've applied for the job, you're an employee, this is in the morning, get out of bed, bang, this is what's on your mind. How do you work through points of conflict then as as a, a, a team that is, is so close and, and especially 
well, no different now, I suppose. But when you're in the same house, you could have a flashpoint, and then uh, six hours later, you're having dinner together. How do you how do you work through that? Yeah, uh, honestly, I think it's a lot about time and understanding each other and learning how to work together. Because the four of us, I feel like we're all very different from each other. And it's obviously, it's always been something that's like been on our mind before starting the whole thing because we're so young and we we haven't worked that much uh, together in the past, especially not in the circumstance of an actual business that we have to run. Uh, so it's just about time and putting in the effort to understand each other's point of view. Like, yeah, sometimes, sometimes I don't agree with someone, uh, with one of my co-founders, but then I try and say, okay, maybe let, let's try and do it this way this time, see how it works. Maybe I'm wrong and maybe you're right or maybe the other way around. Let's try it. Like there's no there's no harm in trying something if the other person believes in it. As long as it's not obviously like a major change, like we're doing something else, we're not doing audio articles or we're not doing audio anymore. As long as it's not that, uh, it's, I think, just discussing it. We We talk a lot. A lot, a lot. Like sometimes, I feel like maybe too much. Uh, but it's it's been it's been going really well so far. So I guess there's communication. The short answer to everything, really. Well, it's and it's it's a powerful answer. And I think what you just described as well, and has come through so far, is that there there's no room for ego in the room. You're all there with the same mission. You're wanting to uh, delight the same audience. And it's about how do we get to there? And is something worth trying? Absolutely. Then can you actually take me to the point where you're, you're all in the house together and you're sitting there and you've got this idea and you, you can't get away from talking about it. Everyone's crazily excited. And you take the step to go from having this really great idea and just living your normal life to having this really great idea and taking that step to be a startup. Do you recall the moment and what was the thing that tipped you to actually starting yeah so it was actually back in london when this whole thing started uh we had been working on two or three previous ideas but we it was during university so we would be like full-time students uh we would just like discussing it we would meet up for board games and then we would say like you know that the yc deadline is coming up should we apply should we not apply and then I think it was it was a very stressful week. We were writing our dissertations, our final year projects. And then we realized, you know what? The YC deadline is in a few days. Let's just apply. Like, there's nothing we can lose. There's this idea. We don't know much about it yet, but at least we can go through the process of applying. We don't get in this time. We don't. Maybe we get in on the next batch or the next, next batch. But let's have this experience. Let's let's see what it feels like to go through the application, to write the application, to go through a possible interview. So it was more like, you know what, let's just do it. Like we didn't, we all had jobs aligned for when we graduated. So that was another thing. Like what happens if we get in? We obviously like we had this conversation at some point and we're like, I don't know yet. I don't know. Like who knows? We'll see if, if we get in. Like the chances were so slim that we felt like... It was going to like, even if we don't get in, like it's not, we we're not losing anything. That's fantastic. What was the the, the highlight of being a part of the, the program? Uh, I think it was just the whole mindset that they, that they support and that they try to get in, you into. It was the people, like the partners. 
we we still like we just had a call with one of the partners and it's been so helpful because it's times like as you mentioned sometimes we might not agree on something or we don't know are we going into the right direction even if it's like we they never expect you they never expect yc to be a school like you don't go there you learn stuff and then you take an exam it's not like that you have to actively seek out advice you you have to actively go up to them and ask them questions but it's not the fact that like even if we talk to one of the partners and uh we don't have a specific question to talk about it's always it always gives us a boost of motivation because we see their experiences in the past with the companies they've built we've seen how many great companies have come out of Y Combinator and it always like motivates us to work even more that's a, a great use of, of the resource you've, you've painted a really terrific picture of, of the background of how you've gotten to here and and the way you're thinking about your your audience as you start to think about scaling, and there's arguably nothing more intimate in a content delivery than sitting inside our ears as, as we're looking to be educated or entertained or both at the same time, how do you then, well, you've already scaled, I'm sure, to put in that language, but how do you think about continuing to scale, how you maintain quality control? Because the, the Lissell experience is a fantastic experience from the user interface through to the the actual audio experience, and how do you also think about people and technology and how they play their roles going forward? Yeah, so to sort of uh, take it uh, from from the end of your question, I think there is enough evidence that uh, audio is going to be big soon. I think there is enough evidence that people are interested in listening to podcasts and that it's become a habit for millions, tens of millions in, in, in the world. Uh, in terms of scaling, I think that's a very good and interesting question. And it's it's something we've been discussing a lot recently. We're still a very early stage startup. Like I wouldn't say it's necessarily something that uh, can be can be seen as an issue right now, but it's something we actively th- talk about. And what we're trying to do and the direction we've sort of taken now is a more user-generated content platform. I know a lot of people have uh, reservations about that because of the quality control and everything, but we, we we strongly believe we have the users that we have, they're very, very excited about the product. They're very excited about the content. They vocalize their feedback a lot. And I feel like that's what's going to help with the whole moderation. Like it's going to be users. If they don't like something, they're not going to listen to it. And it's just automatically not going to be as easily discoverable by other people. That's a brilliant answer. There's no better way to work out how how you continue to please the customers. The profile, you touched on a little bit earlier, but that profile of the early user, early subscriber, and how that's changed. Are there one or two things that have, have really changed that just to you personally, let alone the other founders, the co-founders, but to you personally, you're going, wow, I just did not think that was going to be the case. Yes, I think. So one of the assumptions we've made in the beginning was, yeah, most of the users are probably listening to podcasts. And that was an assumption that was very much correct. I don't think I've, I don't think I've spoken to any user, and I, I've spoken to a lot of users that has said, 
no, I never listen to podcasts. No, I never listen to audiobooks. I, I, I don't know what those are. Like, it's always going to be people who are already enthusiastic about audio and the audio space. I think something that surprised me is the amount of people that are interested in reading content and the, the amount of people that had the same issue we had. Like saving a lot of content for later, never getting around to reading it. So at some point, I like we we were talking to people, and it was like the very first ones who said, "Oh my god, I thought about this as well." And we're like, "Really?" Like I, that was very surprising in the beginning. When you look to the the math of your business, and you have a look at at your dashboard, what do you gravitate to when you look at the the KPIs that you've set for yourself that uh, are meaningful to you personally? but are also then meaningful to the business if there are different ones. Yeah, I think for us four, something that uh, has been very interesting to look at has been retention. And we have really good retention, I'd say, for an early stage startup and for a consumer product. I think that's that's one thing that's very important to us because we believe that you just need a few people, a hundred people who are in love with your product and who use it on a daily basis to get that million other people who would do the same. Uh, but then the main metric that we sort of track is daily active users. Uh, yeah, I guess that that would be it because we're not, we're not monetizing at the moment. So it's not revenue. It's just how many people listen. And there's obviously some thresholds around how many minutes they're listening, how many articles they're listening to. But overall, it's the daily actives. You've given us a fantastic walkthrough how a group of people come together, uh, think about something, take the step, get outside input. I think the, it, by the sounds of it, the accelerator, the Y Combinator was a, a really, really important step in what you were doing and, and it really helped and continues to help to be able to have that independent voice outside of the day-to-day grind, excitement, passion of, of your team and then to think about how you, at this early stage, start to consider the scale if you were to offer uh, some thoughts or some encouragement for uh, other people who are currently in the same position as you were, the four of you having those, those, those talks in the house, what would you say to do and to do faster? But also what would you say to temper the thinking around and to really give some some harder thought to? I, I think for anyone who who's, who reads Hacker News or is familiar with the whole Y Combinator uh, platform and whatever, like what they're doing, this is going to be very obvious. But uh, the most important thing I'd say I advise people to do in startups very, very early stage is to launch and to have something, to have an MVP, to have something to show to users. I can only really speak from like a consumer perspective because that's what we've been doing. Uh, But yeah, having even if it's crappy, even if it's really, really crappy, just have something. Make people understand what we're trying to build. Get the product out there and have people use it because there's no way you're ever going to get to a good enough product if you don't start with something that's crappy, that's maybe not working as it should. Like, Don't worry about those things. I I feel like a lot of people that I've spoken to in the past and who are interested in applying to YC were always worried, oh, but my product is not perfect. My product is not good enough. People who are going to use it, they're going to stop using it. Okay, fine. But there's like so many other people out there who will use it. And those people who stop using it in the beginning, they'll come back a year from now and they'll see the progress you've made and they'll start using it again. Like it's 
there's so many people out there who can use it. Don't worry about a few people in the beginning just churning. Yeah, tremendous. It feels like a wonderful place for us to to wrap up. That that type of encouragement, I think, would have those who are just leaning forward a little bit, actually stopping just leaning and actually taking that step. I really appreciate you taking the time to share the story of Lissell as it stands today. It'll be tremendous to track with you and maybe to check back in at a later date and to to hear from you and and to uh, to hear what's going on. So, Christina, thanks very much for joining me today. Thank you for having me. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed the chat with Christina as much as I did. Feel free to get in touch. Maybe you would like to provide feedback or even suggest a future guest. But that's it for today. Thank you and bye for now.